0: Our scripture reading today is from Acts four twenty three through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and elders had said to them, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, and by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? Look upon their threat and grant to your servant to continue signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. All right.
1: Well, so a... Uh, I love the book of Acts. One of the things I love about the book of Acts is that it is the only um, predominantly narrative book in the New Testament that's not one of the Gospels. And so, it's telling us this story, basically, of what happened from the ascension of Jesus onward. And it's important because... It's important to remember that because it helps us remember that when we're reading these passages, there's a narrative thread around what's happening, and there are real people involved in these stories. And I think about what's happening here. I'm going to give us a little bit of context for the passage that we just read so that we can understand what's going on. But if if you've ever been in a place in your life where you felt like you've just been taking hits... From every side. If you've ever been in a season of your life where you you just feel like, um, like your like there's a threat to your general well being. Uh, that that the the thing that you feel most called to in life is particularly fragile, uh, for some reason. And the response that you that you desire to have come out of that is is prayer. Um, This passage helps us, because really what what this passage that Mary Linda just read for us uh, walks us through is a prayer. That's most of what that passage was, a prayer offered up to the Lord. And so this passage is really a good guide for us in learning how to pray, uh, learning how to pray in the midst of hardship. And so let me give you a little context for what was going on here, and then we can get We can get into it. So, leading up today's passage, what has been happening is since the crucifixion of Jesus, even before, um, but after the crucifixion and the resurrection, the disciples began to preach Jesus in Jerusalem. So, we're still in Jerusalem uh, at this part of Acts. And the religious leadership in Jerusalem, uh, particularly those who had a hand in the crucifixion, are growing more and more angry with Jesus followers for their persistent witness, because part of what they were hoping to accomplish with the crucifixion was the end of all this with Jesus. But that's not what's happening. Instead, his disciples are now publicly bearing witness, and if you remember from last week, they're performing miracles and signs and wonders, and people are putting their faith in Jesus. Now thousands of people have put their faith in Jesus. This is post-Pentecost. And so the religious leaders are are, are angry. They're upset, and, the, and so what they're trying to do is they're they're threatening persecution for any who speak in the name of Jesus. And in fact, Peter and John were arrested, so they went to jail uh, for a little bit. Um, and uh, that's what that's what happened um, in the beginning of this chapter. But as a result of that, people were continuing to put their faith in Jesus for these miraculous uh, healings that were happening. And the religious leaders were afraid to do anything publicly because because of the enthusiasm behind the miracles that were happening. And so that's kind of what's going on. Um, But still under this is a threat from the leadership. And this threat we have to bear in mind carries with it kind of the undercurrent, the the implication of, you remember what we did to Jesus, so don't hear our threat to you to stop preaching in his name as an idle threat, because it is by no means an idle threat. And so Peter and John, they were warned, they were given this warning, you better stop preaching in the name of Jesus or else. And then they were released, and they were sent away. And so what did Peter and John do when they were released is they went to their friends, to the church, and they told them what the chief priests and elders had said to them. In other words, stop. And so that's where the story picks up that we're in here, is them going back to their friends, to the believers, to the church, telling them, what would happen, what what had been warned again, what they had been warned of. So, Jesus told us during his earthly ministry, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. And then he said, take heart, because I have overcome the world. In fact, if you're somebody who um, would like to think (laughs) that Mission of God and the mission of Christ for your life is to deliver you and to spare you from trouble. Do not read your New Testament too carefully. Uh, Because one of the things you'll find in the New Testament is that many times Christians are told, You will suffer, and you will suffer specifically because you believe in Jesus. What God promises is not a life free from suffering. What He does promise is to be our Comfort. He promises to be our comforter. But we often misunderstand the kind of comfort that he offers because we believe in preemptive comfort, right? The preemptive comfort of just don't let suffering or hardship come my way at all. I prefer that kind of comfort. And so, do you ever feel that way that when hardships come into your life, that it was God's responsibility to preempt it. And if he didn't preempt it, well, then at least it's his now responsibility to fix it. We so much want to have control over our lives, and we don't, you know? I know, I have the good benefit of in my role as the pastor, to be standing here facing you all. And I know so many stories from so many of you in this room of loss and struggle, vocational uncertainty, um, the the loss of children, the loss of parents. Uh, I know the stories that we just could stack up of, of unthinkable tragedies that have come. And they come for us all. It's why when I do a wedding uh, and we do the premarital counseling together, one of the things that I like to mention to a couple is when you take the vows, where you say in sickness and in health in plenty and in want in joy and in sorrow, those vows are preparing you for the reality of what's coming. You know, it's not that in the event that, you know, sickness and health comes your way. It's No, those, they're coming. All that stuff is coming. And so we make these covenant promises to stay together in the face of hardship. But here's the thing that Scripture calls us to understand about hardship where there's a sovereign God, and that is that suffering and struggle is often where the growth happens, right? It's often where we where we grow spiritually, where we understand things in ways that we didn't before. It's, it's where sometimes our, our, just, we're, our hearts are broken in ways that need to be broken, and the Lord tenderizes us and softens us and, and gives us a, a kind of a gracious disposition toward, toward others who may be going through the same things. In his essay, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis made this statement, which I think is so helpful. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And struggle is often the light that we see by. It's often part of the Christian experience that illuminates the world in ways that we would have a hard time seeing or understanding without it. And so today, a prayer is offered during a time of struggle, during a time when people are facing hardship, when they're facing uncertainty, when they're facing persecution. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through it in basically four key thoughts. Um, The first is to look at who prayed and why. Second, who do they pray to? Third, what did they pray for? And then what was the answer? that'd be fourth. So who prayed and why? Who did they pray to? What did they pray for? And what is the answer that they got? And when we look at this, what we do is we catch a glimpse of the glory and the sovereign power of God over our lives in all situations. And I think that this is um, always a timely word because everybody is either coming out of an intense struggle, in the middle of an intense struggle, or about to go into an intense struggle, and I think those are the only three options we get. So, we're going to look through this, and I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to walking through this passage because remember, these are real people praying a real prayer in the light of real suffering and struggle. So, who prayed and why? So, Peter and John are released from prison. And they go back, literally, the text says, they went back to their own. They went back to their friends. They went back to their church family. They went back to regular folk. And immediately, what did the church do? They banded together and they prayed. And they sought the Lord in prayer. Incidentally, just I'll confess this to you. One of my pastoral regrets over the last three years is I have not led us as a community of prayer to the degree that I should. And I want to fix that, and I want to rectify that, and this passage calls us to be about that as a church. And that's what they did. They immediately banded together, and they sought the Lord in prayer. And so notice what the sequence is here. Peter and John face a crisis, and so who do they seek out? They don't seek out politicians. They don't seek out people in positions of social power. What they do is they seek out the church. And they bring the burden of their hardship there to the church. Some of us have been taught, never be a burden on others. And if you've been taught that, I want you to understand that is a profoundly unChristian way to approach life. Part of Christianity, yes, part of Christianity is burden-bearing, So I've told this story before, but I think it's been a minute. Um, When I was pastoring in Kansas City, uh, there was a woman in our church who suffered from seizures, um, and these seizures were often triggered by past abuse that happened in her growing up in a church. And so her seizures would happen at church, Uh, and usually because she suffered abuse at the hands of a pastor, her seizures would happen when I would start to preach, and it was kind of most Sundays that she was there. And so what happened is people in our church, a couple of doctors and nurses and just people who cared, um, got together with her and they said, okay, how can we um, care for you when you feel a seizure coming on? Because the the way it would happen is she would feel it coming on and she would get up out of her chair and she would go to the back of the room and kind of sit against the wall because she knew it was coming. And so a group of probably 10 to 12 people in the church kind of knew to make sure somebody was going to be there every Sunday to watch for her. And when she started to walk to the back of the room, they would just get up and go with her. The seizure would pass, she would be exhausted, and she'd have to go home. So she'd hear maybe three minutes of of the sermon, and, and somebody would drive her home. And that was almost without exception. And it was one of the most beautiful ways that our church loved a person in our congregation. And then, there was a Sunday, or there was a day where she said, I, I, I want to talk to you. She, I'm thinking about not coming to church anymore. And I said, why? And she said, I'm, I'm such a burden on the church. Like, every Sunday, I have to deal with a seizure. Somebody else has to leave in the middle of the service, and I don't want to be a burden on the church And I feel like I am one. And I had a moment where... I I hate telling stories where I sound a little bit like the hero of the story. So this feels a little immodest to me, even what I'm saying right now. So hopefully we'll get past that. But I had a moment where I felt like the Holy Spirit told me what to say to her. (laughs) And what she said, because she said, I feel like I'm a burden on the church. And I said, you are. And then I said... And we need you because we're meant to carry each other's burdens. If, if, if we're meant to be anything to each other in community, it's people who know each other's burdens and sign up to carry them. And you give us more than you take. You give us exponentially more than you take. So if you're here and you feel like it's hardwired into me to... Not be a part of a community where I'm a burden on that community. That understand that must if you're if you're walking with Jesus that must exclude the body of Christ because what are we doing if we're not here to care for each other and take each other's calls at three in the morning when we're stricken with sorrow and we're stricken with grief or we're uncertain or something is broken and we don't know how to fix it but somebody else does and they can help us. It's what we see here. It's the instinct of the early church is when Peter and John are told and threatened to no longer preach Christ, they go to the church, and they give away that burden. And how does the church respond? They pray. Would it have been better for Peter and John to carry this burden of persecution alone? To say, oh, they just wanted to talk to us a little bit, no big deal, like you would tell a child, you know? "Uh, Don't worry about it, it's above your pay grade, we've got it covered. No, no. Instead, what they do is they share their need with their friends, because if we don't, if we're determined to never be a burden by never sharing our needs with our friends in the church, then you're going to miss the blessing of God's design for you as part of the church to be cared for. And not only that, you're going to withhold blessing from those that God has appointed to be people who will stand in with you and help carry that burden, which will minister deeply to them. And most of us have been on both sides of that equation, and we understand that, right? That if somebody needs my help and I can give it, let me know, because I want to. And so that's what Peter and John do. Peter and John, they go to the church and they tell them what happened. And the church gets together and prays. Before we look at what they prayed for, let's talk about who they prayed to. This is verses 24 to 28. Of the seven verses making up this prayer, five of them, five of the seven, are devoted to telling God who he is. Before a single request is made, they get into the prayer, and they tell God who he is. That's a great ratio, five out of seven. In the face of the persecution and threats, they begin the prayer with two words that give to the tenor of the rest of what this prayer will be like. They lift their voices, saying, Sovereign Lord. They're not praying to a small God. They're praying to the Almighty are praying to the maker of heaven and earth. And so they name two qualities of God as the basis of all their requests. First, he is the maker and sustainer of all. Everything is his. And the second is he's the ruler of all. He's the Lord. Everything is subject to his power. So the basis for their prayer to this one who is sovereign and Lord over all, as they get into the next verses of this prayer, is their basis is God's word. They appeal to David. They appeal to history. They appeal to what God has done in time and space. Which what this is doing is it's making a strong case for biblical literacy in prayer. It's why it's important to read, uh, to pray with Scripture open. Because prayer and Scripture go hand in hand. Right? In prayer, we talk to God. In Scripture, God talks to us. And God's Word is filled with examples of the character of the God that we pray to. The Psalms model this for us. They tell us who God is, even as they ask things of Him. And so, my encouragement, my application for us is, let our prayers be guided by and drenched in Scripture, in order that you may know the God to whom you pray. What did they pray for? This is verses 29 and 30. And I think perhaps one of the most challenging aspects of this text for us today is to look at what they prayed for collectively as a church. Because we, we, it shows us the light that they're seeing by here. All throughout Peter and John's hearing before the Sanhedrin in, verse, in Acts chapters 3 and 4, Never once did Peter and John try to get out of trouble. Never once did they try to say, this is just kind of a misunderstanding. It's a, because of what we believe religiously, we're just speaking a different language. We didn't mean it to hit you the way that it hit you. It means something different for us. Never once did they do that. Instead, they acted the opposite of men who were trying to get released, To the point that when the leaders of the temple warned them to no longer speak in Jesus' name, they boldly and flatly said, well, we can't do that. And so we see why they behave that way in what they asked God for in these verses. The very thing they ask for in verse 29 is this, Lord, look upon their threats. Look upon their threats. What they're saying is, Lord, take note of what's at stake because they're telling us not to speak in your name. It is the honor of your name they are opposing. And what's the most amazing here is these believers having faced persecution just aren't worried about themselves first. What they're worried about is defaming the name of God they're not saying why are you persecuting me but they're saying why are they persecuting him they're not saying God use your power to defend us they're saying God use your power to defend your name and to advance your gospel and so they prayed that Lord look upon their threats and then they prayed against paralysis and fear, saying, let us speak your word with all boldness. They prayed not for protection, but they prayed for courage. They prayed for boldness to do what Jesus told them to do, and that was be his witnesses in the world. And so they prayed against fear. They prayed against the kind of fear that can so easily overcome us and cause us to back down when we feel threatened. They prayed that their passion would be stronger for his glory than for their comfort. And they prayed that the Lord would continue to stretch out his hand and heal. I love that prayer because they know that when the Lord performs healings, a couple things start to happen. The religious leaders get more and more upset, but people begin to believe and trust more and more in in the power of Christ that is coming through them. And so it's advancing the gospel. And so they pray that the Lord would continue to stretch out his hand and heal that signs and wonders would continue to be performed in the name of Jesus, which was the very thing that stirred up all this trouble in the first place. And so in the face of persecution, they're praying for Christ's name to be glorified and they're praying for boldness to continue to walk in confidence in him. And they prayed that the Lord would keep pouring out his spirit, keep pouring out your spirit, your healing, redemptive grace on this broken world. It's a selfless prayer. Scripture models for us selfless prayer, not my will, but yours be done, that the light that we see by would be Christ. How often our prayers are for selfish things that God never promised, like a life without struggle, that our children would be able to avoid bad influences, that we'd have enough money to live comfortably. The church was here just simply asking for an opportunity to proclaim the gospel in the face of opposition. That's what they wanted. So when struggle or hardship comes, often we believe it's really kind of about us, and so we pray for God to fix our lives. But in Acts 4, they believed it was about God, and so they prayed. For his name to be glorified. And that he would use them as instruments of his glory. So what is the answer to the prayer? It's in verse 31. When they asked the maker and ruler of all things to look upon the threats against his holy name and to give them boldness to proclaim the gospel, what happened? God shook The room where they were gathered. He shook the place. It's kind of glorious, isn't it? The first part of the answer is God's listening. He hears them, which is amazing. We take this for granted, but this, you understand this is always true, right? When you pray, God hears your prayers. He hears us. He isn't sleeping. Our prayers are nowhere big enough when the only glory that we pray for is our own and the only protection we pray for is our own. When you ask the Lord to be glorified through your life, as the people did in the church in Acts 4, what you're doing is you're asking the creator of the cosmos to engage with you. Nothing less. And so by shaking that room, he's assuring them, yes, you've got it right, I am the sovereign Lord. I am the maker and ruler of all things. And after that, the text tells us they were filled with the Spirit and began to speak the Lord's Word with boldness. It's another place in the book of Acts where we see that the filling of the Holy Spirit is followed by the proclamation of the gospel. We talked about that last week as well. God gave them what they asked for, and what they asked for was boldness. We're so prone to think that everything is about us, And so it is grace when God brings us struggle that pulls us up out of that. In times of struggle, our prayers get a little bigger. Our view of God gets bigger. And in times of struggle, the way it's supposed to work is our need for the church is meant to grow as well. That we're to say, Lord, in this world, You have provided something for me. And what you have provided for me is a community to walk through life with. A community of people who have said our faith is in the maker and sustainer of all. When we we live for ourselves, we're we're always going to be just far too easily pleased and we're going to be strangers to glory. But when our passion is for the glory of God to be unhindered, which is often accompanied by suffering and struggle. Our hunger will be to see the name of the ruler and maker of all glorified in and through our lives. And this is how we're meant to live. So I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what your suffering or your struggle is right now. But my prayer is that whatever it is, would awaken in you, would awaken in us collectively as a church a deeper hunger for God's glory to be on display in us and through us and that he would give us a boldness to understand that life is too short to pretend that he's not engaged but instead that it would awake and arouse in us a courage to give glory to the one who works all things together for the good of those who love him. Let me pray. Lord, we we ask that you would be the light we see by, that you would be the one who illuminates not only our suffering and our struggle, but also our seasons of prosperity, our seasons of plenty, our seasons of blessing and health, that we wouldn't think that those are just ours, uh, but the hard times are, are the ones where you step in and have a role. Uh, but Lord, we, we, uh, even, as, even as I pray this, I know that, that some of the suffering and some of the sorrows and the struggles that people here are carrying with them are deep, are deep, and are things that, that are hard to, for anyone else to be able to see uh, and to know. And that's part of the brokenness of this world, Lord, as we carry things deeply and we feel things deeply. And so, Lord, I ask that you would make us to be a congregation of people who, one, desire the glory of your name to advance throughout our city and our communities. And two, that we would be people who would desire to have a courage and a boldness to give glory to your name. May that be a characteristic of this church. Would you make us a church that prays more and more? And we're thankful for your kindness to us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.